Revelation, chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, and to him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Last week we spoke generally about the book. I think today now we just need to start taking up these uh, verses, verse by verse. There will be some repetition to what was said last week, but that's not uh, a problem because we need to be reminded uh, of these things. So we'll just go through it verse by verse. So we start off with the opening revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we have something which is opened up to us, been revealed. What is happening in the future? We mentioned last week um, in Daniel, he was told to, um, to seal up the vision. It wasn't time to be revealed. But when we come to Revelation, we have a, um, a similar expression, but now the reverse is said, that it is time now for these things to be revealed. And while we may not be able to understand everything in the book, in all its details, perhaps some things might only be fully understood by the people going through them, yet the vision is, this, this vision we have now is opened up to us, is revealed. What will happen in the future, God wants to tell us. He tells it to us um, as bondmen. So John, in this revelation at the end of this first verse, and we have his name mentioned, which we don't have in um, his other writings. But he is not the disciple whom Jesus loved, not someone here. Um, as loved and blessed, but he is here as a bondman, a servant. He is someone who is uh, in this character. And this revelation is only given to be understood when we, we ourselves take up this character. This revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, is to show to his bondman. So we have to take up this character. So we need to discuss that a little bit in our studies and what is revealed to us is what must shortly take place. So it's clearly um, 
prophetic, it's future, but it is uh, imminent. What is going to happen is going to happen shortly. These things are um, about to take place and they must take place because God has said they would. Man would clearly want to change these things to have other things happen. Man makes many plans for the future, but we see the future is already laid out. It must take place. The world has rejected Christ and judgment must follow. Israel have refused their Messiah and judgment must follow. And the assembly, we'll see in chapters two and three, has left their first love and the decline has come down until the end. Um, it's about to be the professing mass, not the believers, but the professing mass will also be spewed out of Christ's mouth. These things must happen. They're a consequence of acts. God is constant. God is holy. God is righteous. And so these things must take place in order to satisfy God's nature. But the book um, might be slightly difficult for us to understand because they are uh, it's not written in plain language but it's signed in signs he signified it so the book is a book of signs but these signs are not a mystery to us they're not unknown to us they are as we said last week the revelation is a book of signs but the signs have already been explained in the old testament on the whole so we need to go back to the Old Testament, to where these signs are used, to understand the context, to see what they mean. And where we have new signs, for example, um, with these seven stars in the right hand of the <coughs> Lord Jesus, and these seven lampstands we see in verse 20, because that's a new sign, we haven't, it's not in the Old Testament, it concerns the assembly, which was hidden. We have the explanation straight away that seven stars are the angels or the seven assemblies and the seven lamps are the seven assemblies. So we're not um, left to puzzle these things out for ourselves to make, to guess what they mean. We have the key to understand it in the word of God, either directly at the time if it's new or if they are already revealed, we have to go back and search them out. So there's a lot to discuss. I don't suppose we'll get past the first few verses. But that's some other things we'll need to discuss now in this first verse. It's the revelation has been revealed. It's revelation of Jesus Christ. It is his revelation. God has given to him to show to us as his bondman. Um, it's in signs. It's been sent by his angel. So we again see the character. It's not a, um, we see the prominence of angels in this book. It's not um, God direct, the Lord acting directly as <clears throat> with the assembly where everything is personal. But there is a distance still between God and man, which is characteristic of Israel. When we look back um, and see what the scriptures say about angels, we see God uh, generally dealt direct directly with only with people like Moses exceptions but generally God dealt with angels the law was given through the instrumentality of angels even so we see 
we are God is at a distance from those he is dealing with. And it's generally because he's taking up um, Israel and the nations of the earth. So there's many things we can talk about. I don't think we need to go any further in the introduction. That should be plenty to occupy ourselves with for some time. I think the first thing we can notice is it's one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are many visions and um, different events spoken of, but we are looking here at the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show unto us his bondmen. And as Andrew mentioned, we have to be bondmen. Paul also, and all the apostles wrote that they were bondmen. The Lord, we had one Lord. And it's in that context we look at this revelation of Jesus Christ. God is showing us through the Lord what the Lord Jesus is. Obviously there's a, a big contrast between what the Lord was revealed at the beginning of the Gospel of John, the Word, the eternal Word, and the Epistle of John, where he became man and he was able to be handled and um, had hidden a lot of these glories. But here we have a revelation of Jesus Christ, which basically is to come. And Andrew mentioned, it's a different um, aspect of the Lord Jesus we are looking at here. No longer could John lean on his bosom as he did when he was on earth. But we see when he looked back, when he heard this voice and looked back, he saw the Son of Man or someone like the Son of Man. So we see the Lord Jesus here revealed as the son of man in judgment and i think if we bear that in mind we'll understand a lot concerning this book the other thing i thought we ought to read when we think of this is there's a blessing attached to it to the public reading of the revelation and i suppose we could ask us each and every one of us. When did we last year the book of Revelation being read? Have we read it ourselves recently? But there's a blessing attached to this. So I think when we look at this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's what will be revealed. And we mentioned last week the introduction. Um, the things that are, which we're looking at this chapter now. This is the revelation of what the Lord is now. And there's a distance between the Lord here and what we see in the gospel and even in the epistles. It's Jesus Christ looked at as the son of man, 
primarily here. Later he'd be looked at as the, the judge and then the king. But, um, and also we get throughout the revelation, the lamb, what he became, what he was at one time. But here is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is given to us through the Lord Jesus. He himself gives it to his angel, gives it to John who reveals it unto us. So just the one point, it's one revelation. It's what the Lord Jesus is as the son of man. So this book is clearly a book for servants, for bondmen. We could say, well, it's a revelation of, of who? The only begotten Son of God or of the Word, as we had at the start. No, it's Jesus Christ, who himself was a bondman. Take that from Jesus, the name <coughs> Jesus Christ. It is, is, um, is presented as, as a man here, Jesus the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed, promised one. So, again, the Lord is um, presented in this way. John is presented in this way. And if we want to understand the book, we have to take up the same position because it's to show, this book is to be shown to his bondman. Everything in this book is dealing with responsibility. It's not with privilege as such. Um, we go to other books for that. We have responsibility. John is a bondman. We need to be bondmen. And the one who's presenting this revelation was also here um, in this character. He was a bondman of his God. So it immediately in this first verse, we can say three times we have this thought. It stamps the this whole book with this matter of privilege, or not of privilege, but of responsibility. And if we keep that in mind all the way through, um, again, we, then we don't get confused because it's very easy for us when we read the scriptures to um, compare and contrast everywhere else and we end up bringing many thoughts in. Um, we'll see when we get down to the seven churches. We don't want to start to bring in um, privilege and church truth into Revelation 2 and 3. It's not there. It's the thought of testimony in this world as the um, thought of these lampstands is bearing light, it's bearing witness. Um, it's nothing to do with privilege or doctrine, it's responsibility. So if we bear this in mind, we'll be preserved from making mistakes as we go down. Um, the Lord is also presented as, in a way, as a bondman. It's, it is manhood here. Although as we go down, we'll see um, when he is presented, we'll immediately think back um, to very similar 
descriptions in Daniel and Isaiah, and we'll see that although this one, uh, we have the revelation of Jesus Christ, he is none other than Jehovah, because the comparisons um, will show that <coughs> Daniel is speaking of exactly the same one as we have revealed here. But it says a man. Um, and it's good for us to be reminded of this, that we need to think of our responsibility here. And this is how we are viewed. And this is how it's designed to be read. We must read this book with our responsibility in mind. I think Andrew's mentioned a good point here. Our privileges are in, for instance, the Epistle of Ephesians and many other books of the New Testament, what the Christian privilege is in. So when we read Revelation, we have no need to, to fear. But it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think in, with that in view, when we look at the um, word bondmen here, we should all be bondmen. We should all be have the Lord before us as our Lord and Saviour. So that um, when we look at the end of the verse, verse one, things must shortly take place. I don't think that means um, it'll be near because it, this was written nearly 2000 years ago. But I think what it means is, as, as Paul would teach us, there is no other prophecy to be fulfilled before we get to the revelation. In the first chapter, we look at what the Lord is now in the present time. Linking that with chapter two, we've got the um, the judgment of the the church. Judgment must begin at the house of God. So we can take chapter one and chapter two as looking at this present age. But when we look at chapter two and three, we'll find that we're in, chapter, we're in the end phase already. So we're obviously nearer than we were when John wrote the, the book. We're obviously in the Laodicean age in regard to the church, if we look at it prophetically. But even in the time when John wrote this, because the seven churches were there in all their aspects, there was no time in view. The church is outside time. So when it speaks of the um, shortly, I think we should look at that in the sense that there's nothing to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church, which we get in chapter four, the beginning of chapter four. Obviously we get the teaching of that in relation to the epistles uh, of Paul, um, but when we get to chapter four, we get a definite statement alluding to Paul's teaching regarding the rapture. So there's nothing 
to take place prophetically before the rapture. Obviously, when we look at Revelation, um, the main characters have to be brought into place. But that could be happening now. We can see that now. And we have the first week of um, the 70th week of Daniel, as Andrew mentioned, the first half of uh, the 70th week, where these things can be brought in in their fullness. But nothing needs to happen before the rapture. I think that's important to look at. And therefore, we are not looking at the revelation as the church going through any of what prophecies we get in Revelation from four on. So this being near means that there's nothing to be fulfilled. So the Lord can come at any time. And that's been the same since John wrote this book until now. With God, you look at the Peter's epistle, it says, with the Lord, it's a years as a, a thousand, a thousand years, a day rather, a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years as a day. So time doesn't come into it in that sense. I think it means that there is no prophecy to be fulfilled before we get the rapture. And therefore, we look at the um, application to us in chapters two and three, but that doesn't stop the Lord coming at any time. We might wonder why God didn't give this revelation direct to us, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to give to us. God acts to, to us through the Lord Jesus. He is the one, the Lord Jesus is the one that deals directly with us. Um, and all God's dealings with us are via uh, Jesus Christ. When we get to the, toward the end of the verse, we'll see angels are brought in and God deals differently with Israel as he does uh, with us. Yes, it says that the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show to his bondmen. So that's us. But then we have the way it was revealed to us. The Lord sent his angel to reveal to John. And then John, by writing this down, then reveals it to us. So there's that distance between the Lord. And I think that's characteristic of the book as well. The Lord is looked at as a judge. It's not as my friends, who were bondmen. And there's that distance because he sends his angel to reveal it to John, and then John reveals it to these bondmen. But in the initial part, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ 
which God gave to him to show to his bondmen. But the way it was done shows that distance between the Lord as he is now in Revelation and the bondmen. There's that. It's not as we get in Ephesians and the other epistles of Paul, the nearness we have to the Lord. There is that distance, and that's one way it's shown um, in these opening verses. If I'm right, Mr. Kelly mentioned that in the word servants, there's mentioned good and evil persons. And I think this could be the reason why the Lord Jesus has this steps of um, hierarchy, like Gwyn mentioned it, that he won't speak it directly to us. Yes, I, I think that um, is probably right because the Lord said when he was on earth, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, um, shall um, inherit the kingdom. It's only those who practice anything was real too. Um, I would think um, myself, though, that um, the bondmen here would be those who are true um, believers um, because we would be the only ones really who would read the revelation. Um, I don't think, and there are many believers who um, don't read the book of Revelation. I think even Luther was very reluctant to accept the revelation as um, in the canon of scripture even. Um, but I would have thought the um, the bondmen would, would be um, um, the true believers who would listen but it would also include, I think, as you say, because when we look at Revelation 2 or 3, we looked at the professing church. So it well, it could well imply that, but I would like to apply it to ourselves rather than a general category of all believers. I think it must be a personal application um, that um, it speaks of believers rather than all here, I would think so, because I think it must be applied personally. I don't know whether you disagree with that. Well, there would always be an application to the um to self, whatever, um, whatever we um, take up, um, whatever general term is used, there always has to be this personal exercise to live up to these things. But that's one other thing, when we think about these angels, I'm sure it's angels, there's a verse somewhere which directly says that they are, um, they're servants. So there's um, an extra one in this first verse, not only um, his bondman generally, but John a bondman, and angels who are also servants, um, probably not bondmen as such, but they're still ministering servants sent forth to do the will of God. 
Um, so it adds to this thought that what we have here is responsibility, it's service, um, servants, bondmen that are um, taken up in this book. It's looking at our, um, our responsibility. So we have to, when we read this, um, we certainly have to make the present or the um, personal application. Um, and if we want to understand this book, well, we have to be bondmen because the book is only to be shown to bondmen in that sense. Um, if we are not in the will of God, well, we're not going to understand anything. That's true not only of the revelation, but of um, all scripture. Unless we're in the will of God, we're not going to be able to understand it, especially when it is written in a, in a, a book of signs where um, it's even more important to be thrown upon the, the spirit to, to interpret these things. Um, when things are stated, um, I'd say in black and white and clearly, um, then we can understand these things. We may not know the depths without the spirit's help. But when it's um, signs and we see what, um, you know, we, there's many books on Revelation. I wouldn't um, recommend um, we go to um, any book other than, uh, we might say, brethren writers. We've had Mr. Kelly mentioned already because anyone um, that hasn't got this dispensational aspect um, will certainly be way off the mark. Um, it is a book of signs, so it's very easy for us to use our imagination in these things. But we can't. We must allow the spirit to speak through his word um, to open this book to us. Um, and again, we mentioned this is angel. The, the angel has been sent um, to the bondman, John. There is this distance. We're not looking at ourselves as um, one with Christ, as John would, as Paul might write in our privilege, but this is our responsibility. And we see um, the response will, later on when John turning around has seen the Lord in his character, he falls at his feet as dead. Well, John would never act in that way um, to the Lord in, in his when he saw him in his life here upon earth, when the Lord was walking on earth, the Lord uh, John was in his bosom. That was his characteristic place. But there is this different character of the Lord, and that does necessarily put, um, we can't really, it's difficult to say a distance between us, um, because that, that's probably not exactly right, because the Lord um, lays his right hand upon John and tells him to fear not and so on and allows him to um, have the remainder of the revelation. So you can't really say a distance between us because we, the distance, um, we, we are near the Lord. We can't, we can't be any nearer, but that's, it's a different aspect. We're not looked at, um, we're not we looked at as in that relationship here. We looked at as bondmen and therefore there is this implied um, distance, if you like, between a master and a servant, although um, it's not that we are, we lo lost that place, we just looked at it in a different way. Oh, by making myself um, 
clear. It's difficult to, to explain these things, but it's the, the aspect is different, not our position. I think in regard to what Johannes was saying, I can see when you get down to chapter to verse three, blessed he that reads. There's a difference uh, and they that hear the words and keep the things written in the prophecy. There is a difference in that um, bondman that perhaps the general looking at bondman in verse one, um, and when you get the revelation, you get, and then two and three, you get the uh, churches mentioned um, about the um, the two classes there mentioned, the the ones who listen and the ones who don't. Um, for instance, you get um, let's pick one of them. He that overcomes which would be believers and the ones who um, continue. And as we get to know, the seal will spoon out of his mouth. Um, so I think in that aspect, um, I can see what Johannes is saying, but I feel that it has to be taken in a, um, in a personal way, perhaps more than the um, uh, dispensational look in verse one. That's just my opinion. But as we say, we can't be dogmatic in Revelation. I mean, for instance, when it speaks of his angel, I really don't know of any comment to make on that. I don't know what it's obviously. Um, an angel which is um, chosen for this personal thing to do, to, to take this revelation to John. So there are many things perhaps we cannot be uh, dogmatic on and we have to um, bear with one another. I suppose we can say this, um book was written not to the overcomers of the seven assemblies but to the seven assemblies as a whole so it includes the overcomers and those that didn't overcome so in that sense you do get um, a difference uh, I wouldn't like to say between believers and unbelievers um, so I'm sure there are many believers that don't overcome um, in that sense but uh, they're still caught up in these in these things but the book is to the seven assemblies. It's to, I might say, good and bad, faithful and unfaithful servants. It's probably a better way of, of footing it. But whatever we can say about um, others and ourselves, John was a faithful bondman. Because having this revelation shown to his bondman, John, he testified the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, all things that he saw. So here's a good example. John is a bondman and he was a faithful bondman. All that he was given, all that he was told to do, 
He was told to reveal these things and he revealed them in his entirety. Um, we will see a few occasions where John was so overcome that he fell before the angel and sought to worship the angel and had to be told, no, worship God only. Um, so we're not saying John's perfect by any means, but he was faithful in what he was given to do here. Um, he was given the task of showing this revelation and he was faithful. He testified the word of God and the testament of Jesus Christ, all things that he saw. So we have one bondman, at least we can say, was faithful and did everything that he was told to do. And that's um, something that we can take up. We have been given this revelation. Um, are we faithful in sharing these things? Not only sharing them, but are we faithful in taking up the exhortations, especially in chapters two and three, and ensure we are overcomers in our um, locality to apply these things um, in a practical way? Are we faithful and living uh, in keeping with the responsibilities that we have? It's interesting how you mention about the responsibility because uh, usually you find in every case with the letters to each church, it says there that he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So there's that responsibility to, uh, to obey the word of God. And uh, sadly, there's so many people who won't read revelation and well that suits satan because it tells us of his end it tells us of all god's purpose and what he's going to do and now the lord whom this world rejected is going to be universally acknowledged and exalted and uh, so as you said we have we have a responsibility so that as it says in verse, blessed is he that readeth. And, you know, if we desire, God will reveal these things to us. We think of John, there he is, banished to Patmos, isolated. And yet God sends his angel to reveal this to us, that uh, even at this time when John could have been very discouraged and yet here, he gets the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he passes on for our learning, our encouragement in a way, but also to challenge us as to our responsibilities, as to our walk and how we faithful we are to our Lord. And we know our faults and failings. Often we feel it. But... Uh, the world makes all its plans, and, but yet here, God's telling us some things that have passed, some things that are present, and he's telling us all the future. And uh, for the believer, we don't have to be worried because we can see what God is going to do to carry out his purpose so that the Lord is supreme and exalted above all 
<laughs> so we have this, uh, these challenges throughout this book as to the things and it, and uh, as Andrew rightly said, you know, the, there's so many things that are written that are completely erroneous in relation to this because often in Revelation we get symbolic language, sign language. And so the, the Holy Spirit is the one that can reveal to us the meaning of this. Otherwise, you can get into such a model. And uh, sadly, there's so many believers who are taken up with the church going through the tribulation, where as we read through here, we find that's not so. It's made clear to us. And so here we have these, uh, in this first chapter, the encouragement to read it and to understand it, to seek understanding, that we might be a faithful witness for our Lord in this world. On a practical note we're looking at, <coughs> if we look at verse 2, you've got there, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, the living word. So we see the word of God and we have the living word. And this is what we should be. We've got the word of God, God's revelation to us. Now are we living in the light of that? The Lord Jesus perfectly did that. Now, are we living, as has been suggested, to what light we've been given, or are we not living to what the Word has revealed to us? This is the practical thing, and when we look at the Lord, we see that perfect example. He could be the living Word, the Word that came down from him and he lived that life of perfection and this is the the model for us but these things have given us as we mentioned i think last week it's not a matter of attaining these things it's a matter of maintaining them the lord jesus is always the perfect example and that's our standard. And that's what the Holy Spirit gives us. We to live in this, not take our eyes off the Lord and come down and look at the things from the world's point of view, but to maintain those things which are given us. When we look at the epistle to the Ephesians we mentioned, we can almost compare Ephesians and Revelation. The privileges, what we have in Ephesians, we are blessed with every spiritual, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. But here, when we look at these, the book of Revelation, we see failure all around. And therefore we have to um, apply this to ourselves, particularly when we get to chapters two and three, the present condition we're in, the assembly, and we're in Laodicea now, you know, so that we have to um, be very practical. This book is a, a practical book. 
and we have to apply it to ourselves as we go along. I think that will be a great benefit to us, not that the events themselves will apply to us. They obviously won't after chapter three. We're looking into the, the future. The church is in heaven at that stage. But these first three chapters are particularly given to us to correct our views now, if we have any false ideas. That the Lord is the one example here we're given. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, the living word. And that's our standard we have. I'd be very glad that Philippe has had a, a blessing. Blessed is he, singular, that reads. Although I hope he goes on to read the rest of the book as well. But blessed is he, singular, that reads. And they that hear. Well, I take it we've all been listening attentively to what Philippe has read to us. Um, but then we have this matter of keeping. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean I keep these words on my bookshelf. Um, no, it's keeping them in our hearts, and it doesn't just stop there. Um, we have actions that follow to keep these things. Um, uh, by keeping them, we um, observe them, we treasure them, we obey them, we act out, we act upon them. Um, this is what it means to keep them. It's not just um, keeping them safe somewhere, out of sight. And to keep it means to live the thing out. We keep it in our, we have this treasure, we, we treasure these words. We um, don't only um, hear the words, but we meditate on them, we think on them. Um, and then we desire to live them out for the pleasure of God. Um, so we have a blessing attached to the one that reads. And again, we can think of that as a matter of um, bondman and service. Certainly in the days in which the Revelation was written, very few people could read. So Paul could say to Timothy, give attendance to reading. He wasn't just saying, make sure you read for yourself, but he was saying, no, make sure these scriptures are read out so that everybody can hear the word of God. What a terrible thing it was when um, we, could, we can see the professing church would... Um, persecute and even kill those that were seeking to make the word of God available to the language of the common man. How awful it is that the word of God could be treated in such a way by the professing church, kept in, to be spoken in Latin, so that even in many cases, the very priests themselves that officiated didn't understand what they were saying. But there is a blessing here to the one that reads to make it available. He is serving a purpose. He is presenting the word of God. He may not be commenting on it, but just reading it was, was a blessing um, to the people. And he himself is blessed. One of seven occasions in the Revelation where we have this word blessed is. Um, if anyone wants to follow these things up, I'm sure on David Ali's website, the recordings of Ernie Brown speaking on what he calls the um, apocalyptic beatitudes way of saying the seven blesseds in the revelation this is the first blessed is he that reads 
they that hear the words of the prophecy and those that keep, observe, treasure, obey, act upon the things written in it. Why? Because the time is near. So although it might speak about the future, some cases distant future, possibly, certainly when it was written. But if we have this attitude, and again, we come back to what Johannes was saying, it was the wicked servant who said, my Lord delays his coming. The time is near. If we have this in our minds, even if it might, we might think it's speaking of the future, we still have to act as if it's going to happen tomorrow. Or even today, why, why leave it till tomorrow? You have to have this application for the present. So that time is near. That is why we have to um, act out what we read here. We have to do act today, today in view of what God is going to do tomorrow. It's quite interesting when you read verse 3, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things written in it, for the time is near. So it would appear that this speaks of public reading. It would appear that from this, perhaps we should be reading the scriptures more in meetings rather than listening to what people say about the scriptures. I'm not decrying teaching. We had some very good teaching yesterday, but the scriptures were quoted quite a lot yesterday. And I think perhaps um, that could be lacking in our meetings. The reading of the word is not perhaps done as often perhaps as it should be. Um, I include myself in this um, thing as well. It's the word of God perhaps we are neglecting in this way to read it publicly. And uh, it's something perhaps we should consider um, not only the uh, hearing and the keeping, but the reading. And this would appear to be in public, as Timothy said, when Timothy was told to read. It's the same principle there as read in a public setting. So they that hear. And it's a blessing to all then. Um, just a thought perhaps that um, the scriptures perhaps should be read more in our meetings than perhaps they are. Just a thought if uh, we can take this to heart and consider these things. I mean, often perhaps someone could get up, read the scriptures and sit down. The word of God is powerful enough to convey the meaning to whoever he wants to convey it to. So I think perhaps we should take this to heart and perhaps read the scriptures more in public than we do. Obviously in private, yes, but I think this would speak in, in public. And it's a blessing for reading the scriptures in public, not only for the one who reads, but also for they that hear. I think this could be uh, uh, an, another application perhaps we could um, apply to us today. 
I just remember one um, meeting in Findochty where such a thing happened. In the open ministry, a young a brother um, stood up and read a number of portions concerning um, shepherds, shepherding. Um, ended with Ezekiel, you know, the, the, the need for shepherding the people of God. And although there was about half an hour scheduled of the meeting left, um, after he finished, um, an older brother stood up quite soon after he finished reading the scriptures. He, the young brother read the scriptures and then sat down. A young, an old brother stood up and closed the meeting in prayer. And the time was, um, plenty of time was left um, according to our um, timing of the meeting. But it was a very, but it was a very powerful meeting. And I still remember it today. Um, and it made a big impression on people that were there. Nothing was said on the, the actual verses. They spoke for themselves. And by the meeting being closed straight afterwards, um, we went home with these scriptures in our minds, not perhaps on what people were saying, but the, the scriptures themselves were left. Um, a very uh, good example of only, only the one meeting I've been in like that, but it was a very um, powerful message just to read the scriptures. And the meeting ended immediately after. I think the old brother was in tune, um, well, and the young brother were both in tune with the, the spirit. That was a message that um, was that was needed for us at that time. Why should it not be a blessing if we, for example, read something like chapter 5, where we will see that the Lord Jesus will get its rights. This is a blessing for us personally who believe in him. But for the evil, for the wicked, it is also a blessing if they read the revelation and that they feel, oh, these one who are called here that's me so it is also a blessing for these in the actual time we know that the this what is written here that it is written for future but we have it today and we can think about it today and this is in all way a blessing for us i think that's right because the very next verse says, the very next passage says, for the time is near. That would emphasize what Johannes was just saying. There's a blessing in reading Revelation, and not only Revelation, but the whole scriptures, but particularly the book of Revelation, the only book we get in the Bible where there's a blessing given to reading it. For the time is near. <laughs> 